right. Thank you, Crows. Did you guys mention that you're deacons of Global Missions? Okay, didn't hear that. So if you have questions or you want to get engaged, <clears throat> you can talk to them. If you're interested in taking a trip or learning more about uh, mission, please uh, see them uh, after the service today. Uh, my name is Brandon. If you're new, uh, I serve as lead pastor here at Midtown. Uh, glad to be here with you. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Advent. We're right in the middle of all of that. Uh, I hope that the last couple days were not too crazy. Um, as we go home, oftentimes there's a lot of anxiety because people get crazy. Um, and so hopefully there weren't too many political conversations going on around the table. Hopefully there was not a lot of family drama. Uh, hopefully it was, it was a time of peace, um, although I know that's not true for all of us. But uh, as uh, the Crows mentioned, we're starting a new series this month on uh, global missions. And uh, what I, where I want to start today um, might seem kind of redundant or obvious, but I don't think it is. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the mission of God, and God is a missionary God. And I say it's not obvious because that's often not the starting point for missions. When we think about missions, we often uh, turn it into kind of like a, a platform. And so there's a way for us to kind of start this as an annual priority where we, we have a strategy and, uh, you know, we want to raise resources and we're going to create a website and we're going to have a portal and a GoFundMe thing and everybody's going to get involved and we're going to try to sell you on missions. Now, I think there's a time and a place for strategy and for resources, but uh, I think there's uh, something to be said about backing up to, uh, to remember that mission is not something that starts with us. Uh, mission's not just a platform. When, when, when it starts with us, it becomes about performance. It becomes about what I'm doing in the world rather than what is God doing in the world. And for some of us, the reason we're not engaged in mission um, is because we see mission globally as some kind of like paternalism or colonialism or imperialism, where it's all about exporting, kind of exporting the Western church and our brand and our culture and our values and our ways of kind of living in the world and kind of exporting that um, across the world. And what we end up doing is kind of failing to recognize that we live in kind of a, a cultural captivity to our own idols here in the West, right? Things like capitalism and consumerism um, and individualism and kind of uh, what Dallas Willard called successism, these kinds of things can become toxic, and when we're not aware of how we have been kind of immersed in this, we can certainly uh, uh, export that, and that can become toxic and problematic. And so um, I, I just want to remind us today just very simply that global missions is not first and foremost about what we're doing in the world. So global missions is the activity of human beings to spread the name and the fame of Jesus throughout the world, but there's a, there's a bigger category here, and it's mission, right? Mission is about God. The mission of God is actually the, the, the overarching theme of the Bible. It's why we have a Bible. It's why we have faith, is because God stepped out in mission to win for himself the nations. And what's cool about that is uh, we are the nations. Nations is not somewhere we go. It's, it's who God is, and by extension, who we are. You exist. You're a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus because of the mission of God. And so I think that's a good place for us to start, is to remember that um, missions is rooted in the heart of God, and I think it has a lot of implications for how we kind of live as missionaries in the world. And that's what the series is going to be about, is we, we, we serve a missionary God who calls us to be missionaries in the world, right? So there's kind of been a traditional kind of what I call a Christian evangelical caste system. Um, at the top, kind of the heap is missionaries, right? Those are, like at least when I was growing up in church, I became a Christian as a teenager. The missionaries were the ones that would come in, 
Uh, this is back in the day of like, you know, picture shows. They'd come in with the pictures and the strange garb, and they were revered as kind of like the delta force of Christianity, right? Like they're the really spiritual people. They're called to missions. They move overseas. They learn a foreign language. They, they serve. And, uh, and they're, they're like at the top of the pecking order. And then kind of beneath them are the pastors. And the pastors are basically the ones that were too chicken to move overseas, so they felt called to domestic mission here in America, right? And those, they're kind of the next down on the, on the ladder. And then at the bottom is just the rest of all of you guys who clearly were not spiritual enough uh, or humble enough to get into ministry and be called to missions. And you're basically like the ATMs for missions, right? Like your job is to fund the mission. Your job is to make sure we have enough money and then to go on the trips that are planned by the spiritual pastors and the missionaries. Now, I, that's a caricature, and that's certainly not the case everywhere. But my point is, all of us are called to be missionaries. Right? If you're a Christian, you have been conscripted into service as a missionary because you serve a God who is himself a missionary. Right? It is part of our imaging of God to do this. And it's something that um, I think is important for us to recover as we talk about mission is, whose mission is it? That's the first question that we need to deal with as we think about mission. Whose mission is it exactly? And, uh, and that's what I want us to see here in Psalm 67, is that the mission belongs to God. Right? It is God's mission. He is the missionary. He's the one who equips us to be missionaries. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 67. Let me just read this short little psalm, and I want to talk about what's been uh, kind of classically called the missio dei, the mission of God, the sending of God, of his people into the world, and what that means for us. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations Upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded or will yield its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have here laid out for us the mission of God. Right? Mission of God. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. It's the mission of God, and it's the mission of God. The mission of God, the sending of God, that word missio is from the Latin meaning to send. The sending of God mission flows from the heart of our missionary God. Now this is a really uh, interesting text here in Psalm 67. It brings together two of the most uh, kind of important texts in the Hebrew Scriptures. Numbers chapter 6 the, what's called the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron over the people. Um, this was a blessing, uh, the, verse 1, may God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face to shine upon us. That would have been read at the benediction, the sending uh, at the end of every tabernacle service. It was also read regularly in the community at the beginning uh, and end of a new harvest. It was, it was a request for God to bless his people. And then here's the key, what, what's interesting is the psalmist pairs this together 
with another really important text in the Hebrew Scripture, Genesis chapter 12. Notice verse 2, then goes on to say, don't just bless us for the sake of blessing us. Bless us that. that that's, a, that's, a, that's a purpose clause. In order that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. This is the mission of God, to bless his people so that we would be a blessing to the nations. And again, I just want to draw our attention here at the beginning to whose mission it is. It is God's mission, right? We, we see this as really a prayer of petition for blessing. That's what's happening here. They're, they're asking God to do something that they cannot do in and of themselves. They're asking God, petitioning God, pleading with God to bless the nations through them, right? That's what they're asking. God, would you bless the nations? There's an awareness that apart from God's presence and his power, they can do absolutely nothing. Human activity is not enough. Competency is not going to be enough. Platform is not going to be enough. Performance is not going to get it done. Strategy is not going to be enough. They're asking for God's blessing. God's blessing is central to the flourishing of mission. And ultimately, it's central to their witness in the world. The idea of blessing, remember, is twofold in the Bible. One, it means to take delight in something. A father would bless his children and his grandchildren. We see God blessing the world in Genesis chapter 1. We see God blessing Jesus. We talked about this a little bit last week. The idea of blessing is to take delight in something. They're saying, God, would you delight in your people? Um, so there's kind of a, uh, an emotional, kind of affectional uh, definition here of blessing, but there's also a commitment that's being uh, requested. God, would you also commit your resources to securing this blessing, right? This isn't just feel good feelings about us, God, but would you actually, would you actually make it so? Do it, God, like bring about this blessing. The idea of blessing from a father to his children was a commitment of his wealth. It was a tangible, practical commitment of his estate and his power towards his children to secure their blessing. It was a dividing up of the inheritance and saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to leverage what I have to bring about your good. And that's what the people are appealing to God. God, would you delight in us? And would you commit yourself? Would you use all of your power, bring all of your resources to bear to secure this blessing for us? I mean, you see this throughout the psalm. May, may it be like this. God, would you do this? God, let the people praise you. Let the nations be glad. Let the peoples praise you. I mean, over and over again, the refrain is, the energy for mission originates with God, right? The energy for mission, the source of it is God. God holds the patent, you could say, on mission. God is the owner of mission. We see this in uh, the whole of Scripture, right? The sending of God, the mission of God means that God is responsible for the sending. Think about it in terms of the Trinity, the life of God. The Father sends the Son into the world. The Son sends the Spirit to dwell within us and empower us for mission. The Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Spirit calls and sends the church into the world to embody God's presence and power to represent him to the world. And this is a drumbeat that, that just goes throughout the entirety of the Bible. If you look, for instance, in the book of Acts, the book of mission, right? The first <coughs> kind of aggressive mission of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what do you notice on almost, almost every page of the book of Acts? 
Wait for the Spirit. When the Spirit comes in power, you will be empowered to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2. And then what happens, right? As the people move out, God is accomplishing his mission. Like, it's not the church's mission. It's God's mission in the world. And that might not seem like a big thing, but we notice, we hear over and over again, God added to their number day by day. It wasn't because they were smart. It wasn't because they were good at defending their worldview or whatever. It was that God blessed the mission. God blessed his mission. It says they were filled with joy and they were full of the Holy Spirit and the word of God increased and multiplied. You see the connection. The spirit of God is working and there's the multiplication of joy and the church grows. It's what the apostle John would write about in John chapter 15 when he Quoting Jesus, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Mission belongs to God. It originates with God. God is the author of mission. God is the the builder in mission. God is the finisher of mission. Christopher Wright, in his home. It's a huge book. It's a great book, but I don't encourage you to buy it. It's like 600 pages. But in his book, The Mission of God, here's what he says. Mission is not ours. Mission is God's. Certainly, the mission of God is the prior reality out of which flows any mission that we get involved in. Or, as as, has been nicely put, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. You see the subtle shift in emphasis, right? You see the subtle shift here in moving this away from just human activity to the activity of God, to the divine origin of mission. And I think this is important for us. So let me apply this to like our life as missionaries. I think this is so important as we live our daily lives because it shifts the energy of mission from a sense of I've got to make something happen for God to God is already working in the world. I just get to joyfully respond to his mission. I mean, those are two totally different ways to live. One says, I've got to have this kind of anxious, restless, guilt-driven energy because, you know, if I don't get out there, people are dying and they're going to a Christless eternity. So I've got to have this like urgency and this restlessness and it leads to exhaustion. It leads to me feeling like I have to anxiously manufacture the energy for mission. What we see in this passage is when God is on mission, there's not an anxiety and an exhaustion. There's joy, right? We don't work our way into mission through our own effort. We praise our way into mission. We praise our way. Notice how many times in this passage the psalmist says, let the people, peoples praise you. Let it come from a place of praise. Mission is an organic, reflexive response of praise to the prior activity of God in our lives. It is not something that we manufacture. It is something that flows from joy. Now, I don't know if that's your experience of mission, but living in this church for eight years, there's oftentimes not a whole lot of praise and joy whipping us up into mission. 
inside and outside the church right now, there is a lot of energy for mission in the world, right? We, we, in business, we talk about now, really over the past decade or so, we've started to talk about social impact, right? Like you can't start a business and not be socially conscious. So we talk about social justice. We talk about living missionally as Christians. And honestly, for me personally, as a kid who grew up not in the church and then came into the church as a teenager, I'm excited about this shift, right? Like I grew up in a church where missions was all about sending people overseas. It was all about the nations, but not about the neighborhood. It was not about living as a missionary here, like giving the people that God's placed us around. So I'm excited about this, but I'm also concerned about the trajectory, about the horizon of this energy, about the sustainability of this energy, of this trend, if it's not linked to a joyful response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If it's not centered on the grace of God in Christ and what he's doing in our lives, it doesn't come from a place of praise. It will not be sustained. It will, in fact, I believe, and I see this already, become another outlet for the very things that many of us are reacting to in our practice of mission. The things that we criticize our parents for doing and our grandparents for doing. Ah, they were just individualistic. They were consumeristic with the church. They were just, uh, you know, only thinking about themselves. And if we're not careful, our own practice of mission can become another outlet for self-expression. It can become exhibitionist, performance-oriented, rather than a joyful response to the mission of God in our lives. A joyful response to the presence of God in our lives. Not pursuing a platform, but pursuing a person. Makes all the difference in the world in how you think about mission. There's a great example of this in the Bible. Luke chapter 10, Jesus commissions 70 missionaries, and he sends them out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to uh, heal the sick, to liberate people from demonic oppression, like all the things we want to be doing as we're engaging in mission around the world. Jesus sends out his 70 kind of Delta Force disciples to do the work of mission. What's interesting is they go out and they have success, right? They experience blessing, the blessing of God. God blesses their mission. Jesus blesses their mission. And what do they do? They come back. And what do they tell Jesus when they come back? What are they excited about when they come back from mission? Man, Jesus, you will not believe. Even the demons are subject to our power. Like all they're talking about when they come back to Jesus is their success. They're talking about their performance. They're talking about uh, the power they have. Even the demons are subject to us. Jesus, this is amazing. This is mission. We're all in, right? Like we have so much power now. And what does Jesus say? Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Don't rejoice that you have power over the demons. Don't rejoice in your performance. Rejoice that you know me. Rejoice, praise, let it come from a place of knowing me and understanding who I am in your life. And to me, the, the, kind of the, the core teaching of this story is that there's always a temptation towards self-righteousness and mission. It's easy to take something that's supposed to be about God and make it about us, about what we're doing in the world, about our platform, about our brand, about our power, about uh, results. Like There's always a temptation for us to find our righteousness in mission, even as missional people who want to serve a missional God. And it's so subtle. 
And here's the danger for us in the world that we live in right now. Social consciousness carries a kind of currency, right? Like to be awake, to be socially conscious, to be about social justice in the world, to to run a business that has social impact carries a certain kind of currency, right? It carries a certain kind of cachet. We serve the poor. We help the homeless. We plant churches. We start nonprofits. We go on mission trips. We invest in economic development and in social enterprising around the world. And with good intentions, we fall into, in these endeavors, I, at least two vulnerabilities I see where we lose our focus of God. Two vulnerabilities for people who get involved with these kinds of missional work, just like we see with the disciples. One temptation for us, especially in a digital age, is to, the temptation to curate a personal image or brand. To curate a personal image or brand around missions, right? So we serve the poor. We go on a mission trip. We start our nonprofit. What is the very first thing a lot of us do as we're doing that? Well, I need to make sure that everybody sees that I'm serving the poor. Like we snap a photo, right? We throw it up on Instagram. It, it becomes an Insta story, right? It gets thrown up on Snapchat, whatever. Like we, we, we launch a website. Most of us have like some kind of side gig is like some kind of creative designer, right? So we can, we can launch a website. We're media savvy. And we make sure that we snap a few photos to throw up on social media. And it's all for the cause, right? Like it's all for the cause. We want to raise awareness for these people, for the cause. We want to get our GoFundMe account kind of going. And then we casually begin to kind of name drop to like people that know us in our, in our networks. Like, yeah, man, I'm so tired this weekend. Why? Monday morning here in the office. Well, you know, like we moved all these people in the poorhouse. It was amazing on Saturday. And we, and we kind of drop it into conversations, not because we actually necessarily feel like heartfelt about the work always, but because we want people to know that we're the kind of person who serves at poorhouse on Saturday. See, it's so subtle. If we're really good at it, we can actually build a platform that gets a lot of likes and it begins to bring us a certain amount of social capital. And over time, it's easy for us to get addicted to the way that people are responding to us and thinking of us as we do the work of mission, rather than the mission being about God and the people that we're serving. It becomes about our performance. It becomes about the image that we're managing. I need to be the kind of person who's known as a missional person. I need to be the kind of person who's known for social impact. Wow, isn't that amazing, the philanthropy that they're doing? You see, it's just so subtle. And we feel this pressure then to perform accordingly, to keep up with the brand. I I believe this is kind of like the new face of Christian consumerism. Right? It's, it's the very things that we critique in a previous generation. And what it's leading to, and this is one of the ways you know that you're kind of living in this space, it's leading to exhaustion, not joy and mission. It's leading to fatigue. It's leading to burnout. It's leading to depression. It's leading to anger. It's leading to us shaming other people who don't do it the way that we do. Like all of those are symptoms of a mission that's gotten off course because the mission is about us. And when it's about me and my performance, then I get anxious. I experience what athletes call performance anxiety. I get anxious about how am I doing and and what's happening, right? So there's a temptation for us to curate our brand. And there's also a temptation for us to measure success by results. Even the demons are subject. Look at all these things that are happening, right? We We can reduce mission down to merely like economics and ROI, 
right? And, and metrics and analytics and growth. How many people made a decision for Jesus? How many churches did we plant last year? And let's make sure that it's X amount of percentage points more than last year, right? Like we can fall into just reducing mission to ROI. Matter of fact, one of the ways that they actually teach you to fundraise now, uh, if you're working with a lot of wealthy people, which I've you know, had the great privilege and pleasure in some ways of doing uh, as a church planter, is they actually teach you, make sure that you show the ROI up front. Make sure you give them an understanding of their impact and how far it's going. And so make sure you have, you know, infographics and make sure you have all the percentages and you lay out the benchmarks because people are, this is what they say to you, people are only going to give, Christians, not secular people, Christians are only going to give to something where they see an ROI. How sad that we've gotten to a place where the kingdom of God is reduced to ROI. How do you even measure impact? How do you know if, like, you know, I, I read stuff like millions of people got baptized. Where are all those people next year? Like, all these churches got planted. Yeah, and 90% of them die within five years. We, we, we build wells. We do all these good things. But the point is, the mission of God can't be reduced to those things. And there's a temptation for us to always find our identity in results. But here's the thing. When we remember that God is the missionary when we remember that God will accomplish his purposes in the world. That's a promise here. All the people will praise God. All the nations will be glad one day, and they will sing for joy. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. If we remember that, I believe that we get liberated from the tyranny of kind of a guilt-driven, anxious energy when it comes to mission. We are freed up to do mission from a place of joy, we are freed up to do mission from a place of gratitude, from a place of grace, from a place of praising God, not needing to prove myself to God or to other people. That is the most natural thing that we do as human beings, right? Like anything that we find delight in, we have like inexhaustible resources to talk about and to take joy in, right? Like you do this every single day. Praise is the most natural human response to joy, to, to like a joyous encounter. You do this every single day with ease, right? Like you talk about food. You talk about the latest restaurant that you went to that was amazing, you know, and they had the best this or the best that or it was this artisanal thing, right? We do this with running and biking, you know, we do this with home renovation. We do this with the swap here in Midtown. For those of you that are swappers, it's like, oh, I got the best deal. Like, like if your joy is finding a deal, you talk about the swap all the time, right? Like, that's your thing. If your thing is coffee, you talk about coffee shops, sports teams, some of us political platforms, Netflix documentaries, social causes. If you're a parent, you're always talking about your kids, and it annoys everybody who doesn't have kids, but that's okay, because you delight in it, you talk about it, you praise it. It's the most natural movement in the world. That's what mission should be like. When you take delight in who God is and what he's doing in your life, it should be as easy as talking about the latest coffee shop or Netflix documentary. It's easy, right? Because it's not an imperialistic imposition on us or on the world. It is a joyful response to the supernatural presence and power of God in our lives. That's what drove mission in the book of Acts. 
People were simply encountering the reality of who Jesus was, and it blew them away. And then they got so crazy that like people just begin to ask questions. What is going on over there in the church? What is going on amongst those Jewish men over there who were all like, you know, like speaking in tongues? Acts chapter 2. What is going on? Literally, they look at the church and they say, are these men drunk? Like every missionary opportunity comes from questions that are being asked by the community as they look in on the people of God and the lives that are being changed. Missional living should be as easy and as simple as experiencing joy and then sharing it with those around us. And could it be that many of us, myself included, don't engage in mission because we, ha- we cannot share what we are not experiencing? What we're experiencing in the church is anxiety. What we're experiencing in the church is exhaustion. What we're experiencing in the church is a guilt-driven Christianity that's more about fear. It, it, it feels sometimes like missions to me can be this like multi-level marketing scheme, right? We're trying to build this like, you know, army of people and, and we've got all these checklists and strategic plans and then we're sending them out and, and it's all about like, you know, marketing and branding and selling and all this kind of stuff and it just gets really weird and, and that, like people pick up on that. Nobody's going to be compelled by that. They know it's a scheme. It's not about God. It's not about joy. It's about us having power. It's about us trying to control. It's about our performance rather than an explosion of joy. I love this quote from Leslie Newbigin. He was a missionary to India. He came back to uh, Great Britain mid-century uh, and uh, we're just like, what is wrong with the church? Like he writes a great book, uh, a couple books about missions as he reflects on what's happened to mission in uh, the kind of post-Christendom West. He says this, there's been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. Mission begins, he's reading the New Testament here, with an explosion of joy. The mission of the church in the ages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout which is not lethal but life-giving. It is not a multi-level marketing endeavor. It's more like a dinner party, right? Jesus said that, right? Jesus said, go out into the highways and byways, take all the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, the homeless, those who have no access to God, those on the outside, and he says, throw them a party and invite them in. Like dinner party is about joy, right? Like you spread the table, you, you prepare a good meal, and you have good drinks, right? Like you tell stories, there's laughter, there's storytelling. Maybe you watch an epic film, but your, your imagination is stirred. Your heart is moved because of the joy of the relationships. That's what mission should be like. Not like some kind of, you know, Amway meeting or whatever. If you work for Amway, you know, whatever, praise God. I'm not saying you shouldn't do multi-level marketing. Some, many of you, that's your job, okay? But I'm just saying, that's not what mission is, first and foremost. It's about a joyful response to God. And that's why it's important that we start with God. And then the second piece then is what is God's mission here quickly? His mission in the world is to bless his people so that they can be a blessing to the nations, right? The mission of God is that God is blessing his people so that 
we can be a blessing to the nations. Now notice this blessing of God here in Psalm chapter 67. It is holistic, right? It is the whole gospel going to the whole world, right? That is the nature of God's mission. It is the whole gospel going to the whole world. Now, when I say the whole gospel, I mean the gospel here is multifaceted. We see the blessing of God is both personal renewal, right? He wants people to, to know him. He wants his face to shine on us. That's, that's God's delight flowing through a personal relationship with us. He wants his ways and his saving power to be known throughout the earth. He's talking there about people coming to know Jesus. He's talking about evangelism, like us sharing verbally the gospel of Jesus so that people can turn away from their sin, turn away from their idolatry, and put their hope and trust in Jesus, right? Like God calls us to himself. There's personal renewal, but there's also social renewal in view here, right? He talks about blessing the land, he talks about economic renewal here. He's talking about political renewal. He talks about justice, right? Like if you think that social justice is just an agenda of a particular political party, you would be wrong. Because in the Bible, he says one of the reasons why, one of the credibility factors for people praising God, and one of the reasons why they don't praise God right now among the nations is because of injustice. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For you judge the peoples with equity, and you guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, when people see the justice of God, they are led to praise God. When they do not see the justice of God, they are prone to not worship and praise God. So it is both evangelism and social justice. It is both personal renewal, right, declaring the gospel of Jesus and justice, demonstrating the gospel of Jesus with deeds, right? Without words, the deeds make no sense. But without deeds, the words are empty. And we see both in the life of Jesus. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom and he heals. That's a whole gospel. And then he says it's supposed to go out to the whole world, to the nations, to all ethnic groups everywhere. That's the vision of the Bible that the nations would experience the blessing and joy of God's salvation. We are blessed to be a blessing to the world. There's a centrifugal aspect to the mission of God. You know centrifugal, right? A pushing out into the world as God has blessed us. There is no blessing of God that is not meant to be multiplied and shared with other people. God never blesses his people for them to hoard. Matter of fact, that's why the Israelites Things get weird and they eventually get exiled because they, they, they hoard the blessings of God and they begin to live in a self-interested way. They begin to commit idolatry and injustice and they stop opening their hands and they try to close their hands and put their arms around the blessing of God. But the pattern of scripture is that God blesses his people to be a blessing to the nations, right? Genesis chapter 12, God blesses Abraham. He says, go from your country, right? This is right on the heels of Genesis chapter 11, the scattering of the nations under the judgment of God at Babel, right? People tried to, in their pride, uh, basically take God's place, usurp God's authority, and God scatters the nations, fragments them, scatters them all over the earth. And the rest of the Bible is going to be about God gathering back the nations for himself. Genesis chapter 12, go, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. Why? So that you'll be a blessing. All the families of the earth will be blessed through 
you. God blesses and sends Jesus to be a blessing, right? Jesus comes, Matthew chapter 4, as a light to the nations, to be a blessing for the nations. Jesus commissions his disciples in Matthew 28, go to all the nations, pantata ethne, that ethnic, ethnic word, there's the same word as we see in the Old Testament, guyim, right? Go to the nations. I am blessing you as my disciples so that you will go out into the world to be a blessing. And then that blessing begins to fall in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God comes on the church. And what do we see in that Pentecost moment but a reversal of Babel? Now the nations are not scattered anymore. They are gathered together in Jerusalem and people are coming from all nations to worship God. And that's exactly the vision that we see at the end of the story in Revelation chapter 5 and 7 and 22 when it says God will dwell among his people and there will be the healing of the nations. That's why we exist as Christians. The whole gospel for the whole world. So I just want to close by asking this question for us as we think about the mission of God. You have been blessed, I have been blessed, to be a blessing to the world, to the nations. What if everything that comes to us doesn't belong to us? We often think that if we experience a blessing, we talk all the time as Christians, I'm so blessed, right? Like you've heard me kind of parody this before. There's like a whole Instagram movement that drives me crazy. Hashtag blessed, where people post all their weird curated, you know, kind of uh, blessings of God. And it's always like prosperity, right? It's always, it's never like suffering. It's never anything dark. It's always the blessing is in the house, the bigger house and the bigger job and the nice paycheck. Okay, like hashtag blessed. Okay, even if I'll just grant you hashtag blessed, but you've only been hashtag blessed to hashtag be a blessing to others. Let's start adding that on to our, like, hashtagging. Blessed to be a blessing. So where is that blessing going? The assumption for many of us is that it terminates on us. I have been blessed so that I can be blessed. Or at least that's functionally how we live, myself included. The first thing I think when my my in-laws or my parents or somebody gives me a gift is, not how can I give this away? Like, how can I share this with my neighbor? It's, well, great, I can buy more stuff this year. I can acquire more, right? I can, I can leverage this for more debt. I've already got, you know, plenty of it with my house. The, the core of righteousness in the Bible, Bruce Waltkin, Old Testament scholar, says this, the wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others. This is kind of his summary of the book of Proverbs. But the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. Righteous see what they have as belonging to others the wicked as only belonging to themselves. Augustine put it like this, that bread which you keep belongs to the hungry. That coat which you preserve in your wardrobe to the naked, those shoes which are rotting in your possession to the shoeless, that gold which you have hidden in the ground to the needy. Wherefore, as often as you are able to help others and refuse, so often did you So hear me, I'm all for the blessings of God in your life. Paul, book of Ephesians chapter 1, in one of the most effusive run-on sentences in the entire New Testament, it's like 80-something sentence, 80-something words, one sentence in the Greek. 
He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he goes on to list out all of those blessings of God in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he says, therefore, therefore, God has made me a steward. He's made me a minister to bring those blessings to the Gentiles to the nations. The great mystery of God, he says, is that those blessings were not just for the Jews, of whom Paul was one, but that they were for the full inclusion of the nations. Paul says, all of those blessings have been given to me to run through me to the world. That is what it means to be a missional Christian. We experience the blessing of God. We take stock of the blessings that God's given us. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. But don't just see blessing in terms of prosperity. Don't just see blessing as one-dimensional. We've been blessed in so many ways. We've been given spiritual blessings, right? And we ought to thank God for that. We ought to pray for more of that. We need more faith. We need more hope. We need more love. We've been blessed with Bible knowledge. We know more about the Bible. You, get this. Like I've spent time, a lot of time overseas before I came here to pastor this church and plant this church with some other people. And uh, I promise you, the average Christian in America knows more Bible and theology than 99% of the pastors in the Philippines. The 99% of the pastors and church planners that I lived among in Morocco, Africa, for a summer. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You don't always just need another Bible study. You need to take that knowledge and do something with it. Take stock of your education. Take stock of your financial resources. U.S. Christians own $5 trillion of resources. $5 trillion collectively. You will, if you make just $25,000 a year from your 20s into your 60s, handle and steward a million dollars over the course of your lifetime. How are you using? So here's my encouragement to us. Just start where you are with what you have. Start where you are with what you have. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing. So here's what I know to be true about all of us right now. All of us can start where we are with what we have. Did you know this? We don't even have to go to the nations anymore, only. God has brought the nations to us. Do you know that there are over 85 different people groups and ethnicities living right among us here in this city, right? Like we don't even have to go. We just have to form one cross-cultural relationship. The nations have come here. Start where you are with people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood. Have eyes to see God has blessed you to be a blessing. The home that you own, the children that you have, the job that you have, the paycheck that you have, it is to be a blessing to the nations. God has brought the nations to us. Parents, a word of encouragement. You're like, this sounds overwhelming. I've got kids. Okay, God has brought the nations into your home. They're called your children. Your children are the mission. Mission starts in your home. Some of the most significant missional movement leaders in the history of the church were just people who were discipled by faithful moms and dads whose names we don't even know. Justin, the martyr. Augustine, the bishop. Timothy in the New Testament. Charles Wesley, who evangelized much of Indianapolis in the, in the Midwest. Start where you are with what you have. 
Some of you are going to go to the nations. Praise God. Begin to discern that call. Respond to the call of God on your life. I think all of us can just simply do what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 67. We can pray. Like something so convicting to me this week was just the simple fact of, am I even praying this prayer for the nations? How often do I sit down and spend intentional time saying, God, let the peoples of the earth by name in Syria, right? In China, in Japan, in Mongolia, in Indonesia. How often am I by name praying for these people to experience the joy of God? God's gonna do it. Here's the thing. God will do it with or without me, but God delights in using his children to bless the nations. We experience the blessing as we participate with God, and it can start with something as simple as just prayer, like adding this to a regular prayer life, adding this to the liturgy of our church, making sure that we are keeping before our very eyes the mission of God to the nations. God is missionary God. He will be worshiped among the nations. The question is, will we join him in his mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God mission, that you call us into mission with yourself. God, would you help us to